The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thank you for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. As you know, it was a busy, busy week in racing. We still got a week to go up there at Saratoga, so I brought in my main man, the editor-in-chief of the Saratoga special. We had him out at the beginning of the meet. He said, I'd love to be back on at the end, so we're going to, and that is award-winning writer Tom Law will be with us. Uh, Some interesting things came out in the magazine this week concerning a personal friend of mine that uh, finally got the spotlight on him. Then we're going to go to a first-time starter here on Winning Ponies in one Julie Cagno. Some of you in the Midwest may know that name uh, because she was a jockey here uh, for quite a few years, a years back in the, in the Midwest, uh, but she has quite an interesting story coming from uh, the United States, becoming an accredited racing official, and then starting to go overseas uh, into some multicultural environments. And uh, she was the racing administration manager for the China Horse Club and has now seen racing at many, many places uh, over in Asia. Uh, She was also a consultant for racing operations in the Apprentice Jockey School um, in India. She did uh, jockey training assistant. Uh, uh, She's done uh, horse rehab, a little bit of everything, taking us from Cambodia to Thailand and back to the United States now. So that is Julie Cagno. She'll be our first guest on the show Well, hope you had a good week at the races. Hope you came up on Winning Ponies and pulled down our easy win forms because we did end up with a couple monster hits. Of course, uh, we emphasize this time of year, uh, you know, east and west coast, but on the east coast, it's Saratoga. Uh, On the the 29th, it was the eighth race, a $1 super key, brought back $4,949. And on the same day, earlier on the card, Another super key in the fourth race, 1,842. Don't want to forget our friends on the West Coast at uh, Golden Gate on the 29th. We had a $1 super five, $4,507. And then at Del Mar, a $1 super key. The 29th was a good day all over the place, $1,828. So we're glad you tune in for the radio show, but tune in and get your winners before you go to the races. All right, just pulled this down about an hour ago. It's uh, by featured columnist Tim Daniels, who writes for the Bleacher Report. And the headline's a good one. I think you're going to like it. American Pharaoh will race again after the loss in the Traverse Stakes. American Pharaoh owner Ahmed Zayat announced 
today that he's reversing course and now expects the Triple Crown winner to continue racing despite his loss in the Traverse States. That was uh, Bob Ehalt of ESPN. He re- also reported that uh, Zayat, who originally stated Farah would likely retire after getting edged by Keen Ice, changed his mind after conversations with his team. The goal is now to participate in when a horse races top races and what a matchup it could be. And uh, so according uh, to Zayat, uh, he quoted, I've discussed all aspects of American Pharaoh's race last Saturday in the Travers and his condition since the race with the entire team, and I've decided that American Pharaoh deserves another chance, so they're pointing to the Breeders' Cup Classic. Of course, you know, it will be held this year for the first time ever at Keeneland, and the uh, American Pharaoh will be going back home. That's where he was bred in Kentucky. $5 million showcase. That's October 31st. Still don't know if Beholder's going to go in the race or not. Word is that she is probably going to have another prep out on the West Coast. I would uh, be very interested to see American Pharaoh in another race. My guess is that Baffert will train him up to the classic, but that is just me. I don't believe that anybody's gone on record as far as saying what the exact course is, um, but they just want to make sure that uh, he gets a chance for redemption after his loss in the Midsummer Derby. Now, after the race, Victor Espinosa found out he was fined $15,000 for the way he was dressed. Um, he wore promotional material without permission after having been specifically instructed not to do so by the stewards. Uh, Monster Energy drink was on his boots, and his name was on the pants. Stewards said that in New York, they've never allowed jockeys to wear their own names on their pants. And if you do want to have a promotional material on, you have to apply at least 24 hours in advance. And the stewards said that two other irons were denied permission to wear their own names on their pants for the Travers, too, because they didn't ask in time. Obviously, uh, this was quite the day. Record handle for Travers Day. Total handle on the 13 race card was 49.7 million, according to Naira. 20% higher than the previous Travers Day record that was set back in 2013. And the all sources handle, you go all betting on this one, was up 24% over last year's 14 race card. Of course, it was an exceptional card. Also, good news is that the overnight television rating for the two hour broadcast on NBC was a 1.33, and what that means is it's a double the overnight rating for last year's broadcast and the highest rating for a Travers broadcast since 2004, and that was a good day in New York, uh, wagering at Naira's three properties, Saratoga, Aqueduct, and Belmont through Naira's account wagering operation was $11.5 million, up 5.7. And that, too, was a record. So people, uh, we have to admit that having the first Triple Crown winner in 37 years has brought a lot of eyes on wherever American Pharaoh goes. Now, uh, the national turf writers and broadcasters are going to salute American Pharaoh and the team that molded him into the first Triple Crown champion. Um, Tom Leach, the voice of the University of Kentucky, Kentucky will MC the National Turf Riders event pr- just prior to the 
Breeders' Cup in Lexington. Uh, so Ahmad Zayat, the owner of American Pharaoh, trainer Bob Baffert, and Victor Espinoza as a team will be presented the Mr. Fitz Award for typifying the spirit of racing. Uh, Tom Hammond's going to get the third annual Jim McKay Award for broadcasting excellence. Of course, he's a native of Lexington, Kentucky. He hosts NBC's coverage of the Triple Crown races as well as summer at Saratoga. Congratulations goes out to Tom. Tom Layden earned the Walter Haight Award for career turf writing excellence. The Haight was an esteemed turf writer and columnist for the Post. Layden, he's covered racing since 76, beginning with the Schenectady New York Gazette. Then he wrote for the Albany Times Union and Newsday and uh, pretty much has been the primary racing writer for Sports Illustrated since 2001. And then a gentleman that I get to call a personal friend and that we've had on the show here at Winning Ponies, Bill Mooney, who was a former winner of the Walter Haight Award, among numerous other honors. Bill's going to receive the inaugural Bill Mooney Award, believe it or not, for displaying courage in the face of tremendous adversity. Uh, we didn't bring this up the last time I had Bill on the show, though it was known that uh, Bill is currently a cancer patient, and uh, the prognosis uh, is not good in, in the long run. And uh, basically, he wrote a moving letter to his colleagues in the game after it was discovered, in which he said that one of his remaining goals is to enrich the lives of others. So he certainly did display courage in the face of tremendous adversity. I look forward to seeing Bill down at the ceremony. Well, the classics, uh, like you said, it's going to bring out the best. Uh, Honor Code, Keen Ice, now American Pharaoh. There's a name. The dual classic winner, Glenn Eagles, is also targeting the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, he's going to be coming from over the pond. He's a multiple Group 1 winner. He captured both the Group 1 English and Irish 2,000 guineas earlier this season. And it uh, looks like he's probably going to have some prep races over in Europe uh, before he does come over. Of course, he's trained by legendary Aiden O'Brien. And uh, I guess he's going to try to run in the Irish Champion Stakes this Saturday. And uh, should he not get to go in that race, he'll go in the Queen Elizabeth Stakes at Ascot in October. So remember that name, Glenn Eagles. The boys in Europe are saying that uh, he is quite the horse. Also, there's an interesting change. Curlin, who's just been an outstanding sire this season, he's going to be located to John Secura's Hill and Dale Farm for the 2016 breeding season, according to owner Stone Street Farm. Uh, they were the successful bidder on a 20% interest in Curlin that recently went up. So uh, with all of the fantastic mares he's been bred to, he is going to be moving over to uh, Hillendale from Lane's End Farm, who did a great job of getting him off to a start. And I want to remind you, uh, this week, the Woodard from Saratoga is going to be telecast this Saturday, 5 o'clock, on NBCSN. So uh, NBC Sports Network will show uh, the Woodard. And, of course, I'm going to break that race down with my friend Tom Law later in the program. Don't forget, also out on the West Coast this week, we've got the Del Mar Debutant, a grade one worth $300,000. Uh, all the horses that came out of the Sorrento, the one, two, three, four finishers will be taking on 
Bob Baffert's Pretty and Cool, who won the Grade 2 Sorrento. So we'll see who jumps up and gets better this week in the Del Mar debutante. Of course, last week, all eyes on Saratoga, all eyes on American Pharaoh. But after getting pressed by Frosted for the majority of the mile-and-a-quarter race, in the final 50 yards, it was Keen Ice getting up to defeat American Pharaoh. So Keen Ice, trainer Dale Romans, They'll be back in Lexington going to the Classic. Then uh, the personal ensign turned in uh, into a, a great rematch, but my man Dan Elman, he brought home the winner in sheer drama for us. And uh, Unbridled Forever, who was Dan's long shot pick, took home the grade one ballerina so i want to thank dan for uh, for being on the race and a uh, bit of an upset in the king's bishop which we said was one of the toughest races on a card it's a horse who's very well traveled run happy edgar prado in the saddle started at turfway park then ran at the fairgrounds ran at indiana ran at ellis park and came home the winner in the king's bishop so uh in the uh for go stakes, we had a bit of an upset here, though uh, we did pick the two horses, one, two. Private Zone got the best of the Big Beast. We both were leaning a little bit more towards the Big Beast, but did say that Private Zone would be the one to beat, and Private Zone was the one to beat. All right, that's a look at all the big action that happened last week and some Great national news that American Pharaoh is going to be headed towards the Classic. Should all go well with his training regimen. We're going to take a little bit of a break here. and we come back, we're going to be talking to a world trotter. Her name is Julie Cagno, and you're listening to Winning Ponies. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball. From high school to the pros, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. 
All right, and with me, as I told you, the top of the show is going to be Julie Cagno. Now, Julie is somebody I've known for a long time. Uh, first met her as a writer in uh, northern Kentucky and, and southern Ohio. And uh, several months ago, I believe it was maybe on Facebook or something, and I saw that she was either in China, India, Singapore, Hong Kong, whatever. And so I sent her a message and said, hey, what are you doing over there? And I think at the time, uh, she was actually uh, helping with one of the jockey schools over in Asia. But uh, uh since, since her hanging up her saddle as a, uh, a jockey and an outrider, uh, she g- got uh, her accreditation as an official. We're going to go through that. I don't want to spoil the story. I just want to welcome uh, Julie Cagno to Winning Ponies. How are you, Julie? Super, John, and thank you for having me this evening. Well, your story is a very, very interesting one. I thought our audience would enjoy it. Now, now you grew up near Philly. Uh, what was your entrance into the, the game? Was it a National Velvet thing? You were just a cute little girl that loved horses? I had taken riding lessons as a youngster um, and ended up near Penn National and went out and got a summer job walking hot. And uh, it's it's taken me around the world since then. It it has, you know. It's funny. I do get parents and I do get kids come up to me every once in a while, and they say, "How do I get to be a jockey?" Obviously, there are many different paths that people take. I think perhaps the path you took was best because I think starting from the ground up. A, you get an appreciation for the physicality of a horse. B, you get to be around horses a lot and get a feel for them before you just jump up on their back and start taking them in a circle around the track. Can you kind of describe to us your evolution into becoming a professional jock? The the foundation from the riding lessons and going to summer riding camp when I was a kid uh, was a good base. Uh, and it, it helped me, you know, it, it gives you the, the basics of how to ride and how to be around a horse. And it doesn't have to be, you know, in the same venue, but I would recommend that anyone that, that wants to be a jockey gets a, whatever education experience wherever they are, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what discipline. It's something that's going to be a foundation for them. And when I started on the racetrack, I started at the bottom walking hot and cleaning stalls. And, uh, you know, basically all it takes is a willingness to work hard. Uh, the, the racetrack's a great place for people to, to give other people a shot. I mean, many people that, that are, have succeeded on the racetrack, it's because somebody gave them a chance, somebody brought them into their stable and started teaching them when they were younger. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful world um, in that sense. Well, I, I know that after your professional riding career, and this is something I didn't know until the other day, um, that you became an outrider when uh, the outrider was injured at Tampa. I don't know if that was Bobby Pate or not, because I know Bobby was at Arlington and Tampa, and he was the outrider, and it was just one of those freak morning accidents. He was trying to get a horse. The horse kicked back at him and his pony, uh, landed on Bobby's kneecap, and pretty much took it off, uh, ending his career. He was a 
fantastic outrider. Um, so you, you filled that position as the outrider and then became a, uh, an, an outrider at, at, at several tracks, including Arlington Park and Keeneland. I'm not sure if the average race goer really appreciates how important and dangerous the job is of an outrider. I mean, it, it looks like in the afternoon it's nice, you wear the red jacket and you're, you're leading the parade, but I don't think they understand that your day starts real early and sometimes it can get real hairy. Yes, and I do have to say that the people that are on the racetrack on a daily basis, the horsemen, they do understand the value of an outrider and the, the value of having a good outrider. When you're in trouble, when your rain breaks, your bridle breaks, your equipment breaks, your horse is running off full tilt or out of control or a, a loose horse um, is out there running, everyone appreciates a good outrider. Now, of course, it's one of those occupations that you can go from a hero to a zero in no time flat. <laughs> All you have to do is miss one horse in front of a crowd of 10,000 people, and it's quite interesting how all of a sudden now they're cheering for the horse. But it's just one of those things that you have to accept. Well, I think, I think there's so many people at the track that, that don't, don't get it uh, almost find it entertaining when they see you know, a, a loose horse. Hopefully the race has not started and they're running in the wrong direction and they kind of cheer it on. And I think of anything else that juices up the adrenaline in the horse that's running and just makes your job that much harder. Oh, yeah. They hear when the crowd starts cheering. They do know. And I have to say it's one of those things, if for whatever reason you don't catch the horse, and sometimes it's because you have to make a decision that the best thing you can do is to not make a move towards the horse because of whatever issues are, are coming up. You have to give that horse an out. And it's at that point, you know, that you're going to hear from the crowd and it, it will toughen you up. <laughs> when you, you've been booed by a few thousand people. Um, you've got to, you know, hate to use the phrase, but basically man up and, and deal with it. And at the same time, it is extremely rewarding when you make a catch that, um, you know you saved somebody, you know, you helped out in a situation where there was not going to be a good resolution. Yeah, I'll just name drop here. We've got a guy by the name of Doug Doodad uh, Han that uh, outrides in Ohio, and he is something else. I, I've got to say he's in his 60s, and, man, he's made some catches in the last week and a half. As you know, this is the time of year when those two-year-olds start going to post, and they see that big green monster, and a lot of times they say, uh-uh, not today. And he has just made some fantastic catches. And we always try to make sure that our track announcer, tra admire, acknowledges. And, ladies and gentlemen, Doodad Han makes another great catch. And that's when I really like to hear the applause and the roar of the crowd, is, you know, acknowledging <laughs> what, what you just did, you know. Well, uh, from that, you know, it looks like uh, – I, that you, you did some training. I believe you, you trained the 2006 Lexington Derby winner, uh, Panic's Pride. Um, and, and then you kind of made a transition from the saddle to the classroom and eventually to the role of a racing official. I, I guess just what we're saying about being an, a, an outrider, you realized, you know, maybe I could do something where my feet are on the ground, but I'm still involved in racing. So from what I understand, you, you earned a paralegal degree and then uh, went into becoming an accredited racing official. 
That is correct. Uh, in fact, I've been taking classes, um, you know, along the way for many years, and I finally just put it all together um, towards something, you know, that I'd, I'd had a lot of interest in right along. Well, obviously that, that interest uh, kind of led to, to enhancing what I have to believe after talking to you is a sense of wanderlust that you have. And from there, you ended up pursuing international opportunities that led to Dubai, the United Arab Emirates, as an assistant administrator for the Emirates Racing Authority. Uh, tell me a little bit about those experiences. I, I know it's hard to do in five minutes, but my God, you became the racing administration manager for the China Horse Club. Uh, what was that like going from the United States o- o- over there, knowing that you're not bilingual? It was a tremendous challenge. Um, you know, I, I fortunately was able to kind of get my feet wet in the international arena when I went to Dubai. Uh, now, Dubai is a, uh, has a very large expat population, so you, it's, you can get by without speaking Arabic. Um, you know, it's always helpful, you know, if you learn a little bit of the native language. But over there, it, it wasn't necessary. You know, like you could speak English and, and everything, all, every, all the work-related functions uh, were in English. So there was no issue. Now, when I had the opportunity to go to China for, uh, as the racing administration manager for China Horse Club, it was a whole different ball game. The initial office that I was located in in Tianjin, which you've recently seen on the news for their fires um, and explosions at the port, that office, I was only the second native English speaker in the office. So everyone else, um, their primary language was either Chinese, Mandarin, or Malaysian. And so that was that was my first taste at really having to... You, you just have to end up having a sense of humor about the difficulties because you will find and become extremely frustrated with the repeated mistakes, errors, miscommunications that happen. You know, and there's there's only so much you can do. You've got to you know kind of be able to shake it off and, and move on. Uh, fortunately, smartphones have translation apps on them, which is an aid. <laughs> But it, it's by no means, they're not, by no means 100% accurate. Um, they also have a lot of, you know, errors to them. But, but they're, they're an aid. And, and it's amazing what you can, you can get by in, in a lot of situations with, you know, courtesy, a smile, um, you know, pointing, gesturing, drawing. Uh, but I, I learned a little Mandarin, a small amount. I learned, you know, uh, enough to be able to communicate at the market. Uh, excuse me, communicate at the markets uh, because everything there pretty much is negotiable. So you know, there's, a, there's a lot to learn in every country you go to in order to have the best experience. And if you are not a, a, somebody that's accepting of, of diversity, um, you, know, or you need to become very flexible and adaptable when you're working with many different cultures. And I have to say, it's one thing that, that I enjoy. I, I thrive on that challenge. And so it's, I think that's one of the things that has helped me uh, when I went to China. And it, my initial challenge was finding uh, supplies and preparing to import a large load of horses that initially we weren't, you know, we were planning 50 to 100 horses. Um, so just procuring 
all of the supplies that you need to set up a stable. Think about every piece of equipment that you need to have. Um, I had to source. And so I, I've got to say the, the challenges were, were tremendous, um, but I have to say it was, it was a very enjoyable challenge. Um, just uh, only got a couple minutes left, but now, yeah. you, not only did you serve in an official capacity, but you were actually uh, hands-on in, in helping with some of the apprentice jockey training schools. Were, was their style very different, or were there things you maybe showed them that was different than the way they were taught to do things? The jockeys in China, um, I would have, well, let me say this. Everywhere that I've been with thoroughbred racing, from Thailand to Korea to China to U.S., Dubai, it's all basically the same. Everybody puts a similar saddle on the horse. Everybody puts, you know, gives the jockey a leg up, and, and they go to the starting gate. Um, so the basics are similar. Like anything else, styles are different, rules are different. You know, so it's those types of things to address. One of the interesting things that I discovered in Thailand, the first time I'm watching a horse race, is those horses stand in the gate for upwards of 10 or 15 minutes sometimes. I was absolutely wow. shocked. The horses, you watch the horses go out onto the track, warm up, go over to the starting gate. Some of the horses walk around behind the gate. Some of the horses get in the gate. And then I guess they're waiting on the wagering um, signal. And a bunch of jockeys will get off their horses, sit under the tree, and just wait because it's, it's hot. You know, <laughs> so they, get, they, they take the weight off of them. Somebody's holding them in the gate. And, and at whatever point they're given the signal, um, the riders that aren't on their horses mount back up, and they start the race. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, watching all the different techniques. When I went to India as a consultant there, I was reviewing the racing operations and assisting with the jockeys. And they are, uh, they are the, the apprentice jockeys. It's a much, much stricter regimen than I've seen in other places in order just to learn to be a jockey. Um, so they're, I guess, maybe more the, the traditional British style, um, you know, of, and, and kind of a military style to it. Uh, so there's there's many different ways of achieving the same end. Well, Julia, my uh, my producer's telling me that sad to say we didn't even get halfway to our interview. So you got to promise me you'll come back. I want to learn more about Cambodia, Thailand, Bangkok, uh, Chiang Mai. I'm sure I'm probably saying some of these things wrong, but welcome back to the U.S. I know you're somebody who thrives under pressure. You're exploring your options here in the U.S., and I'm sure when uh, many of your friends find out you're back, you'll be landing on your feet and working and racing here soon. I hope to cross paths with you down in Lexington. Super, John. Thank you so much for having me. It's been very enjoyable, and I look forward to speaking with you again. All right, we've been talking with Julie Cagno. What a life story she has. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, one of my favorite people and an upstate New Yorker, he's lucky enough to live and play in Saratoga, New York, none other than Tom Law. We'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds 
Bart. They need to bitch his ass and then move oh, on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, no stranger to winning ponies because he's one of my favorite people in all of horse racing. He's Tom Law, the managing editor of ST Publishing and the award-winning publishing company that produces the Saratoga Special and the Steeplechase Times. I called him just at the very beginning of the Saratoga meet to try to get a feel for what's going on up there as the excitement builds and now we're kind of heading into the final furlong at, at Saratoga. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the uh, awards that uh, he's won over the years, but trust me, just Google him and, and you'll find out. He's one of the top writers, uh, but he's also a, a great story and storyteller, and he has a great feel for the fabric of racing. Tom Law, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, John. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm on the right side of the grass, and I'm not in jail, and I'm talking to you. So I, life couldn't be better. Um, Glad to hear it, man. Everything's great here in Saratoga. We had a little bit of rain today, first time in about uh, two or three weeks, it felt like. So it, uh, it cooled things off a little bit, but uh, barreling through. we got a few more days of racing, and that's it. A racing rarity uh, this summer up at Saratoga. Um, I remember reading the stat that uh, so many races got in compared to years past because you had such good weather. Before I get on to the week of Saratoga, I've got to ask you, I know that you're a former uh, president and an official with the National Turf Riders and Broadcasters, and uh, my heart lit up today when I got a press release uh, finding out that the uh, NTWAB uh, is naming an award for Bill Mooney, and that this year, just prior to the Breeders' Cup, you're going to have the Bill Mooney Award for displaying courage in the face of adversity. I had Bill on this show a couple months ago. Uh, at that time, we were personal friends. I knew about his cancer, and he just asked me, he, he said, John, hey, whatever you do, let's let's just keep this towards the topic and not bring that up, you know. And since then, I've seen him battle, and uh, the, the news hasn't been the best for Bill uh, from his doctors. And my, my, my hat's off uh, to you guys at the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters uh, for, for recognizing Bill. And uh, Lord knows there's enough people each year in our game that do display courage in the face of adversity. I think it's a great award. Oh, without a doubt. 
uh, you just talking about it right now. I mean, I'm just, I just stepped out of my office uh, here in Saratoga and it's, you know, close to 80 degrees and like it gave me chills just kind of you talking about it and just kind of thinking about Bill and, uh, thinking about everything that he's gone through. You know, I lost my mom to cancer about two years ago. So I understand the battle, uh, at least from a, from a, uh, from a distance like that. And, you know, I, I got the notice, uh, a couple weeks ago when they were, when they were, uh, starting to cast, uh, cast votes for the awards. And, uh, like, like you said, I'm not really involved in the, in the leadership or the board of the turf riders anymore, but, uh, I do get called on from time to time from the people on the, on that organization. This wasn't something that they did call me about, but I was really excited when I heard that they were going to create an award like that. And, and when I sent my, uh, when I sent my votes in, it was like, okay, the Bill Mooney courage award. Uh, I just basically wrote, it needs to be Bill Mooney the first time, no matter what. So, uh, it was great, great news, uh, to see that today. Um, to be honest with you, it's such a whirlwind. Everything is so busy here in Saratoga. I completely forgot about it. So it was great to get that little bit of news and a, and a little bit of an uplift. Uh, obviously, uh, it's not like things are down in the dumps here in Saratoga, so I didn't really need an uplift, but that just provided one. And it's just, it's, uh, it's great news. And, you know, I'm excited. I'm going to be in, in Lexington for the Breeders' Cup and, uh, I'll be at the Turf Riders dinner for the first time. And, uh, since I was the president of the organization, I think. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. And I did hear from Bill today, and I, I certainly hope to, to, to see him there. And uh, for a guy that's very humble, I will say he feels very honored uh, by what you guys are doing for him. I know he tries to lowball, you know, all that he's done in the sports and all the awards he's won and the fact that he was a journalism professor up at Michigan. I, the more you talk to him, you find out stuff and you go, what? You were this or, huh, you did that? He is an amazing person. Well, yeah, he's got a lot of layers. That, I mean, just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. No, let's put that behind us. That's, I think that's positive news, and we're going to go forward. But uh, you have got to be absolutely exhausted after a week of Faratoga. Can you paint the picture for us? I mean, first of all, we heard about, you know, the police escort and how it was great uh, with the, the, the what was it, 15,000 people showed up just to see him gallop? Yeah, it was uh it was quite a scene. Um, I was lucky enough to, uh, I, I heard about the horse, uh, was going to go and train on Thursday morning, uh, the day after he got to the, to Saratoga. And, and like you said, there was a lot of, uh, police escorts and, you know, much fanfare when he arrived in the stable area on Wednesday afternoon. And then Thursday morning, he went out and trained really early actually before Baffert, uh, Bob Baffert showed up with his, with his crew. And, uh, and that was really cool. I mean, there was a lot of people in the back, in the back stretch, mostly a lot of the horse people, a lot of the regular people that are there every day, you know, all, everybody kind of was tuned in and, and paid attention to when that happened. And then the next day, of course, took it up about, you know, 20,000 levels with, uh, the fans coming in. I actually, I live really close to the track and, uh, it's a lot easier for me to get back and forth on my bicycle. So I ride to the track in the morning to do my work on my bicycle. And I, you know, I was glad that I did that day. When I, when I pulled, uh, on the, from circular street onto union Avenue, I mean, the cars were just stacked up on union Avenue. And this was at like 6am. They don't open the gates until seven or seven thirty for the breakfast. When people are, are going up, going in to, to watch American Pharaoh and the other Traverse horses train. And I thought, man, they needed to maybe open up a couple different, uh, uh, entrances. Cause I mean, this is going to be like total gridlock. 
it all ends up being pretty smooth. They got it. They got everybody in. And, and like you said, I mean, yeah, they estimated between 10, 15,000 people. I didn't watch it. Uh, I didn't watch him train on the front side. Uh, but I know that they did interviews about Baffer and Larry Thomas was there and, and talked a lot about it. I had a couple of my reporters who were on the front side watching it. I watched it from the back side. And there was a lot of people there, too. I mean, it was probably, oh, I, I want to say three or four, uh, three to four to five people deep along the outside rail watching the horse train. And this is, you know, people with uh, everybody that had an owner's badge or, you know, other, horse, other trainers were there watching. It was really kind of cool. And, uh, you know, a lot of the trainers all watched from a certain spot on the, on the, a couple different spots on the backstretch, you know, guys like Todd Pletcher and Rick Violet and some of the, the big time players were all there and all checking it all out. So it was, uh, it was really cool. I mean, you know, I've seen a horse train before, uh, but, you know, to see him train in my hometown on the track that I grew up watching horses train, I thought was really special. You know, you always hear about, Oh, I was there when Secretariat, you know, breathed the, before the Whitney, or you know, when Affirmed and Alidar were training, leading up to the to the Travers. And so now, I think this generation and and my generation, everybody else that was there, sort of has their has their own moment as well. It's really neat, and I'm sure you you were asked the question by uh, Joe Sixpack, or uh, you know, people saying, "Hey, do you really think that this is going to make a difference?" Uh, you know, we in the industry now that we've got a triple crown winner and quite frankly i was one of the, that, that was saying yeah i do i mean it's 37 years you know i mean i've got a 28 year old son that that's never seen a triple crown winner until now and obviously we're seeing you know uh, the fact that nbc expanded the broadcast i think originally it was going to be an hour they expanded it to a to a two-hour broadcast uh the travers uh, set uh wagering records uh set records for television viewing i mean uh, it, it's just great and uh you may not have heard at the top of the the show but uh, they just released an announcement that he's going to the breeders cup yeah i didn't know that i heard that uh yesterday in fact um and, uh, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I think it's created uh, a lot of excitement in the industry. And I think, uh, you know, did it make a difference with the Saratoga meet? Is that the reason why attendance is up and handle is up? You know, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I think people feel, feel good about the industry right now. I think they feel good about racing. I think they had a real positive experience watching the Triple Crown. So maybe that leads people to come out for uh, a Thursday or come out on a Saturday uh, you know, the weather certainly helped here in Saratoga, but I think you see it throughout the rest of the industry. I think you see it when we had the Saratoga yearling sales here uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, American Pharaoh was a horse that, you know, quote-unquote graduated from the Phasing Tips in Saratoga sale here uh, when he sold here a couple years ago. He actually ended up being bought by the guy that, same guy that bred the horse, but he went through the auction ring here. I think people feel really good about the horse business right now because of him. I mean, people that are existing people in the game and they, and they're enthusiastic about it. And, you know, you can't really put a price tag on, on what it means. And I, I think we're, we're seeing the benefits right now. I think if he, if he does train on and go to the breeders cup, I mean, what's that going to be like? I mean, it's already going to be, it was already going to be really, really exciting in Lexington because <clears throat> that's the place where the breeders cup should be. Uh, it's horse country. It's, it's, it'll be like here when American Pharaoh trains. It'll be just like here. I think, you know, Keeneland, Keeneland does everything right. I think they'll do it right when they have training hours, and they, it's already completely accessible to the to the fans. And, you know, I mean, when it's a Triple Crown winner, it's going to be 
you know, that much more awesome when the Breeders' Cup rolls around down in, uh, down in your neck of the woods, not far from where you are, and in another two months. I can't believe it's less than two months away now. And let's face it, we do have a potential uh, Rachel Alexander or Zenyatta on our hands with Beholder. My God, what would happen if she decided to go in the Breeders' Cup Classic against him? Think about that. Yeah, I mean, she was uh, super impressive, obviously, in the, in the uh, Pacific Classic against the males. I, you know, I, I really like her. I think she's great. I think she's, she's been, you know, rock solid her whole career. I mean, you can't. Uh, there's no holes in her. I, I, I do think uh, Honor Code as well adds a whole different level uh, of intrigue. And his race in the Whitney uh, to run down Liam's map, and, and I think, you know, Honor Code is, is only going to be better at a mile and a quarter. He's the son of AP Indy. You know, I, I made the statement after he won the Whitney that basically he's the number one stallion prospect in America, without a doubt. I mean, his pedigree and his his, his, his physique, I mean, he's everything that you would want. And obviously... Uh, he's living up to the expectation now. It's taking him a little while. So, I mean, you would have some, that'd be some, a serious heavyweight clash right there. Honor Code, American Pharaoh, and Beholder in the race. And then, never mind, there's a whole group of oh, yeah. uh, horses that are right right on the cusp as well. I mean, you got the horse that beat American Pharaoh in the Travers and Keen Ice, who's clearly a horse that's going to excel at a distance of ground and a horse that's improving at the right time of the year. Well, before we get on to handicapping, i got to give you one more shout-out. I did uh, three four weeks ago telling everybody to get the Saratoga special when they get up there, whether they get it online or they get it in Saratoga. But what's neat is, I mean, not only do you have great sections like uh, license plate of the day and by the numbers, names of the day, quotes worth repeating, but, you know, you're not just talking about Chad Brown and Todd Pletcher all day, and it was so neat yesterday to see you uh, giving a little shout-out to uh, a guy that trains on northern Kentucky Southern Ohio circuit and, and, and Dougie Cowens and how darn close he came to pulling a, a big upset in the first graded stakes race he ever ran in with next shares. That was a pretty neat little story you guys wrote about him. And it's nice to see, a, you know, covering stories, uh, you know, with that kind of human interest in it rather than just the headliners. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's our niche. You know, that's what we're trying to do. There's, that's why the Clancy started the Saratoga special. I think there's just so many, good stories that go untold, you know, I mean, we try to cover as much as we can, but you know, there's, there's so much that we just can't even get to. And, and, you know, it doesn't, I, I'm not trying to to sound high and mighty, but it doesn't take really that much effort. I mean, you just, you look at the list of the entries and you see a name that doesn't look familiar to you, go out to the barn and talk to that person. I mean, who are you? Tell us your story. That's basically what we do. That's what we tell our writers to do. Uh, Maria Burrell is a girl that, uh, a, a woman that's, uh, won the King's Bishop with a horse named Run Happy. And yeah. uh, I happen to know Maria and she's based at the Thoroughbred Center there in Lexington on Paris Pike. Total unknown. I wrote a big story in the Travers edition about her. I mean, just thinking it's going to be a good story. Never mind, You know, she won the race and that ended up being a huge story. But, uh, yeah, the, the, your, your man, uh, it was great. Like I was like, I got to use some of my River Downs connections. My man, John Engelhart is going to know <laughs> who is this guy. I know this guy's at Belterra Park. Excuse me. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to call John or send John an email. He's going to know this guy. And you know, we ended up, Joe Clancy ended up going by the barn and another guy, another uh, one of our writers talked to him on the phone. I mean, he was so, so excited and it ended up being a great story. And we, and man, we had some great material. Uh, we, we get tons of material that we end up sometimes not even being able to use when the horses don't win. I mean, we had a great story with him 
if he had won the race, you know, just, and, and it, we ended up not using it, but some of this stuff ends up being fodder for like future issues or, or stuff that we do kind of in the off season. People always ask us, what do you guys do in the off season? Well, I, I try to go through my notes and my tape recorders or uh, in the next few months and, and figure out the really good stories that don't get told. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's what, that's what we try to do with the special and we're excited about it. We were excited about it on day one, I think right before I talked to you and I'm, we're working on issue number 33 right now. So we only got two more issues after tonight. We're just about ready to put this one to bed. But we're still just as excited about the Woodward and closing day as we were opening day. Well, you know, and I think it's late. And you might not know the effect that it could have on a Maria Burrell or a Doug Collins and that somebody reads this and then sees how well their horses run and go, hey, wait a second, I got horses in Kentucky, you know. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll try mm-hmm. this guy or this girl out. I mean, it could mean a whole lot to a leg up to a career for somebody that's been flying under the radar so long. I think Doug ended up last year with something like a 36% win percentage. There's not many trainers in the country that wouldn't swap with him. So I, I do appreciate that. Well, we're, we're down to about eight minutes to try to get some handy capping in we're talking about uh, some headliner names well of course uh, anybody that's been following the sport the last couple of years knows the name uh, Rachel Alexandra uh, she's had a pretty good couple of weeks up there at Saratoga with her offspring I believe Jess's dream got the job done but in the spinaway Rachel Alexandra could really uh, make headlines with Rachel's Valentina. I noticed this horse was born in February. I wonder if it was born on Valentine's Day. Um, it's coming into this race off a maiden win, but as I recall, this horse just uh, uh, dropped back early in the race, and somewhere about the half-mile pole kind of figured what it was all about, and Johnny V just blew by the field. Uh, Rachel's Valentina is going into the spinaway as uh, certainly a horse that will bring a lot of attention, but by no means uh, is a hands-down winner. Uh, you've got a talented uh, Tappet coming out of the Ralph Nick's barn who really looks like it's like Saratoga. And then you've got uh, Tanasha who just missed in the Adirondack Stakes. I noticed that uh, Pletcher's taking blinkers off. That's all I'm going to say about the horses I think are the top three. What are you looking at in a spinaway? Pretty tough to, to go uh, away from those three. Um, I, I think maybe one horse that you didn't mention that you know probably might have a good chance is Constellation. Uh, yeah, she you won took the word in the out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she won easily um, in a race that I'm not sure how strong the race was. It's hard. I guess we're going to find out how strong those races are, those maiden races that these Phillies have run in uh, come spinaway time on Saturday. But, yeah, I think Rachel Valentina is the most, obviously the most interesting horse because of who her dam is and, and all the hype surrounding her. But I, I think the fact that she's going from six now to seven furlongs is only going to help her. I think I felt like, she looked like a horse that just really wanted some ground. And you watch Jess's dream. He won it going a mile and eight first time out. So, you know, yeah. Rachel, Rachel Alexander was a horse that possessed a lot of good high cruising speed, but she was really at her best, you know, going a mile and eight. And she won the Preakness, obviously, going a mile and three sixteenths. So, uh, you know, I think Rachel Valentina is going to be pretty tough. I think that long run down the, down the backstretch going seven, and then she'll really start getting rolling again around that turn. And I think she could be really tough. And, and Johnny just knows her well, and he's, he's riding great. And Fletcher, Todd Fletcher trains her. He's, uh, man, he's in a big battle for the trainer's title right now. He's one back of Chad Brown with, uh, with uh, four days of racing left to go. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of days. But I think Rachel Valentina could, uh, could get the stakes uh, program for him off to a pretty good start. All right. Well, I don't want to miss the race that uh, we now find out is going to be on uh, 
uh, NBC Sports Network, and that's going to be the Water Grade One Six Hundred Thousand. This could be a riders' race, Tom. When I look at this race, I look at Liam's Map, Bay of Plenty, Coach Inge, and the layoff horse Prontonico. All of these horses, their running style says, I'm going to go to the front. You try to catch me if you can. This is going to be very interesting. Uh, could those four speed horses potentially set it up for a horse like my loot? I mean, you've seen the, all these horses run. Who, who impressed you most? Well, Liam's map was the most impressive, I think, out of this group. I mean, he just has a, a serious uh, high cruising speed. You know, I hate to use that phrase again, but... He he outran Moreno going into the first turn in the Whitney. And of course, Moreno maybe wasn't at his best, but uh, you got to be pretty fast to outrun Moreno. He did it with ease. I mean, he was just out there cruising. So, uh, you know, I think those other horses, I, I think, are, you know, maybe can't match strides with him that early, but they might get the sort of the stalking trip. I, I could envision Liam's map just kind of being out there by himself, unless, you know, it becomes, like you said, the ri- a real rider's race and guys like, you know, uh, Joel Rosario on uh, Bay of Plenty. Uh, Coach Inge, I, I don't see him really getting too engaged in there. Those races are a little bit longer, so I could see him sit, sitting a little bit. And then uh, Pertonico, who I actually kind of like a little bit in the race. I think he's got great form. I like the spacing. I like that he's hasn't run since May. I, can, I like him a little bit. I, I think Liam's map really laid it out on the line. Last time he got ran down, I just wonder if he's going to be able to duplicate that race again. I mean, clearly he's the horse that is the most talented in the race. He's never really had more than two races in a row. This is his second race in a row. He's a, you know, he's a four-year-old. He's very lightly raced. So, you know, I'm not saying he's going to have a problem going in or anything, but I'm just going to maybe, if I was going to be wagering on the race, he's probably going to be a short price because I think everybody's going to say, oh, there's no honor code in here to run him down this time. He'll just go gate the wire. But, uh, <laughs> you know, races uh, sometimes produce kind of funny results. So I'll, uh, I'll take a stand against him. I, you know, lean towards Protonico. I don't know if he's a... Uh, I don't know if he's quite up to the, the grade one company. You know, I'm, I'm going to root for Wicked Strong. I've been a fan of his for a long time. I thought he ran a good race in the Whitney. I wish this race was a mile and a quarter. Uh, I do think he would be a little bit better suited for that trip than the mile and eight. But, yeah, it's a good, it's a pretty strong Woodward. And, there's, you know, like, like you said, it's, uh, it's on TV. There's four stakes on Saturday. It's a big day for sure. Well, if anything, you know, if anybody presses you, I would just say, you say well, who you like in there and just say, I like the Pletcher horse since he's only got four go. of them in there. That's right. There you go. <laughs> well, I know, I know I'm there. squeezing up, up up against for time, but, you know, we're, we're coming into the, the final uh, two uh, graded stakes races on that card, and, and that's the Saranac and the Glens Falls, and both of them look like kind of do-overs. Uh, the uh, the Saranac looks like a do-over uh, for the Hall of Fame. Uh, you were there. Uh, takeover target ended up uh, winning at, at, at four to one. Stock the pace did well. Uh, this race is a mile and an eighth. The Hall of Fame was a mile and a sixteenth. Uh, was there anybody like Winter Springs, uh, the Chad Brown first-time U.S. starter, or somebody that that impressed you uh, out of that group? Well, I think Takeover Target definitely the horse to beat. Uh, you know, he's one for one. Obviously, won the race at Saratoga, and I don't really see anybody else that's running back in here having much of an excuse. Last time, I think Mark Cassie's horse World Approval was fourth in the in the Hall of Fame, and he. He kind of was wide on, on both uh, turns. You know, he's gotten uh, Joel Rosario's taking over for Jose Lascano. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. I think Joel, uh, Jose's riding really well on the turf at this meet, but, you know, Joel's obviously rock-solid, world-class rider as well. Uh, yeah, like you said, it is a do-over. They've had a lot of 
they had a, uh, the Better Talk Now stakes the other day as a three-year-old uh, turf race going a mile. So they've had three three-year-old turf stakes uh, at the meet. So you, you get a lot of sort of, like you said, do-overs. Um, you know, there used to only be like one, maybe three-year-old turf stakes at the meet. So it's getting a little bit uh, redundant. But uh, I think, you know, Chad obviously is, He's got a good hand in there. He's got he's got three in there, so he's kind of like doing his uh, he's doing his Todd Fletcher imitation in the neck. Well, uh, let's see now in in the Grade Three Glens Falls. We won't have time to handicap it. I'll just tell everybody they need to go back watch the replay of the Waya because we have the Superfecta one two three four finishers all in this race, the Glens Falls coming out of the way. So that's the way you're going to do it. So, um, again, Tom Law, I appreciate everything you do for racing, uh, your, your positive attitude, uh, the, the things you do as far as uh, along with the Clancy brothers, as far as uh, how you guys cover the sport in such a unique and, and positive aspect. Absolutely. It's the only way to be, I think. It's uh, make life off along if you're not like that. So uh, I'm enjoying it. All right, well, listen, I have plans on seeing you at the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters Dinner and give Bill Mooney a big pat on the back. Thanks so much, Tom, for being with us, and uh, enjoy the final furlong of the meet up there. Absolutely. Thank you, John, and I uh, hope everybody has good luck at the races. All right, well, uh, go to the Saratoga Special. they got some darn good handicappers. Go to winningponies.com and pull down those easy win forms. We've had some big, big winners. I want to thank uh, everybody, and also special shout-out to Julie Cagno for being with us. Once again, as I look out of the manicured turf course over the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I want to wish everyone best of luck and remind you, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.